Before we dive into this episode, I wanted to first say thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. It means more to me and to Fractal than you know, because without you, what are we doing this for? And we want to make sure that it continues to be helpful for everybody listening. So if you have any suggestions on what we should cover on the show, who should be on the show, anything, please feel free to email me at amanda at frac.tl. But also subscribe to our monthly newsletter, which if you haven't yet, you can find on the podcast landing page. If you go to the fractal site, frac.tl, and you go to our work and click on podcasts, you'll find that page. Um, Also, I can include the link in this episode's show notes. But if you sign up for that, you'll get exclusive information in addition to the episodes. But also in August, we are having a giveaway for the first time. We were able to buy some Fractal swag, and I'm really excited to start giving it out. So all you have to do is subscribe to the newsletter, and you automatically are entered. And if for whatever reason you can't subscribe and you, you still want to be entered, let me know. Shoot me an email, and I can make that happen. But uh, So sign up. If you sign up in August, you're eligible, and come chat with us. Welcome to Cashing In on Content Marketing. Each week, marketing experts will explain how to measure your content marketing results and communicate that value to stakeholders. I'm your host, Fractal Marketing Director, Amanda Milligan. Joining me this week is a keynote speaker, storytelling and creativity strategist, improv comedian, and the author of Stop Boring Me, How to Create Kick-Ass Marketing Content, Products, and Ideas Through the Power of Improv. I am so excited to talk to Kathy Klotzkas. Thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, thank you, Amanda. I'm so excited to talk to you, and I'm so excited that you can't see my awful COVID Geico caveman hair. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure everyone's work wardrobes are just being all donated at this point and we're all just going to live in sweatpants and hoodies from now on. Oh my God. Right. Like I, I'm now ordering my personal grooming products from John Deere. Like I am, <laughs> I am literally at the home Depot gardening section. Like how much is that lawnmower? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Times are changing, but listen, like I guess sometimes I miss dressing up sometimes. But it's been so nice to not have to do that daily maintenance and just kind of like start the day. I don't miss the hassle and the community. I don't miss it at all. And isn't it amazing that we're at this moment of time where I'll, I don't know about you, Amanda, and your audience. I am having some of the most amazing human conversations because mm. we're all going through something together. And it affects us differently. I don't want to pretend that we're all in the same boat. However, we are all in the same storm. And I feel like I'm having, forget about what we look like, right? I am having some of the most honest, real human conversations that I've ever had. And I think that is something really important. Absolutely. The vulnerability, I can't, can I say this word? Vulnerability that people have had. And, and sharing their experiences. I've definitely, I've felt the same way. Yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah, it's very powerful. It is. It really is. It's an honor to just connect at, a, at that human level that we're all experiencing. And so, you know, even if I come on with my COVID hair, 
and I look like the missing link in the evolutionary chain. People are not <laughs> judging me for that. <laughs> and I, but there's something real about showing up as you are. And I think that's really such an important marketing lesson, you know, for all of us at this moment. It is. It is. It's something that's so easy to not do. And I think it's been a, a big reminder of that for people because they're experiencing it in their personal lives and they see right. how impactful it is just to them personally. And it's like, oh yeah, I guess this applies as well in business. It's all yeah. still people interacting with each other. Still people, still humans facing uncertainty and doubt and like not even sure if like, you know, we just got the memo that our, our, our son's school may not open in the fall and we don't know. There's so much uncertainty mm-hmm. and I think there's just a humanity in connecting at that level of honesty. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think some of those things talking about authenticity and sincerity, these are all types of things that are harder to measure. And that's some of what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about creativity but I think a lot of these words that get thrown around a lot, you know, like, you know, you need to be authoritative, you need to be authentic. They're all so true, but it's harder to kind of explain how successful you're being at that or to measure that. Right. So I'm excited today to talk about like how we, we can make the case at our jobs for being creative and like using your personality and your content. Yes. Yes. I'm excited too. It's so important. And yeah. How do you measure authenticity? (laughs) I know. (laughs) How do you measure measure all that? That's, that's such a a big, big question. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I've seen that you have said that one of the biggest problems with content or at least B2B content, but maybe Mm -hmm. all content is that it's boring. Yeah. Uh, Why do you think that's the biggest problem? I think, you know, it's really a symptom of something bigger, which is we are thinking about things in a very transactional way. We're thinking about how to short circuit humanity to get to the sale. It's sort of like if I meet you at a bar and I'm like, hey, (laughs) want to come home with me? It's like, whoa, buddy. (laughs) Whoa. Buy me a drink. Let's talk first. And I think I, I really believe that marketing got to a place, unfortunately, where because it was B2B, we bought into this nonsense that, well, it's just, it's all, it's all, you know, 24-7, it's all about the product, it's all about business, it's all about whatever. And what a bunch of nonsense. I mean, you know, I can tell you in over two decades of doing improv, it's always about the human experience. Always, always. It's never not been about that. And I think what ended up happening is too many people got the horrible memo, the awful memo that, you know, to get to the sale, they had to do an end run around people's humanity. And in fact, that is not the shortcut. That is the long cut. Because if we forget to acknowledge the humanity of other people, we're just, it's going to take us like three, four times, five times as long to close and, and to, to get to that transaction. So I think what I want people to understand is that boring is a symptom of a transactional mindset. Yeah. So what about if you are talking to somebody who works in B2B and they're like, it's just a, a tool that we're trying to sell. Like it's not exciting how do we make something like this not boring? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So boring is, I totally get it. First of all, I get it. I hear you. There's a lot of boring industries out there. Boring, boring, boring. You know, B2B, a lot of boring. It's like, <laughs> I get it. 
The thing we always have to remember is it's never about the product. It's never because you're making it about first, the first, I think, assumption and the first erroneous assumption is in marketing. We're making it about the product. It's never about the product. It's about what the product can do for somebody. Now, I don't believe in like making up stories that are false just to sell something. However, you know, like it's funny. I had a sheet manufacturer. Yes, you heard right. A sheet <laughs> manufacturer come to me <laughs> that I did business with. They came to me. They're like, well, we offer sheets. What's exciting about sheets? And I was like, it's not about the sheets. Think about what sheets represent. They represent comfort, sleep, a little something, something going on. <laughs> right. So it, it, sheets are where other things happen. So let's make the story about life. Now, what does it mean? What about the thread count? What about, like, give me a story about how the sheets were manufactured. If the sheets could talk, what personality would they have? Like, let's think about the bigger story. If you literally make things about the product, you will fail. Because what we're missing is people don't care about sheets. However, Sheets are where all, the bedroom is where all these things happen. It's where intimate conversations happen. It's where pillow talk happens. It's where we, we digest at the end of the day with our partner and we tell our partner everything we're thinking. Let's go from the things that happen there and talk about that. That's how you make sheets exciting. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really about the short answer here and the long answer is I think Amanda making it about the bigger thing that happens there, not about the thing. And this is very much like an improv stage. If you and I were talking about sheets, the scene would be so boring. Nobody would give a crap. But what if while we were talking about sheets and folding sheets, and, and because you know nobody ever knows how to fold those damn fitted sheets. My God, nobody knows. I still <laughs> have no idea. I, will, I would die trying to put on a fitted sheet. My husband would stop looking for me. He would just stop. <laughs> You would be like, I don't know. So if we could just have fun and admit the silly things that people do while they're folding sheets or doing laundry or talking, you know what I mean? What mm -hmm. are the things that people are doing? Well, they're talking about life. It's never about the sheets. So once they got that understanding, they started doing some really fun content. We have a similar approach at Fractal and the way we have to explain it to people sometimes because a lot of people want to stay on brand. They don't understand when you deviate from the actual product or service, uh, how it's going to appeal to people. Right. And we talk about it as we sometimes call it tangential content. It's like, it's still relevant, but we're trying yeah. to tap into the emotional side. Like you were saying, like, yeah. how do you feel? Like what, what situations are related to this product or service and what does that bring up in you emotionally? Those are the things that people are going to connect with rather like, right. than you said, like the right. thread count of a sheet. And nobody cares. But what if the thread count was like, I don't know, a window into like this whole party or something like that? Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So do you have examples of, since you've worked with a lot of people on this, you know, people yeah. come to you and they say, we know that our content's not up to snuff. Like, please help us make this more interesting. Do you have an example of when something went from boring to interesting? Like what kind of change happened? You know, the sheet sounds like a, it's a good hypothetical example. Do you have other examples of how that can actually be done? I do. And these are, I just want to be clear that like the sheet example was my client. Here's an example, not my client, I wish, but I think what they did was genius. So Caterpillar, if your audience is familiar with Caterpillar, it's industrial 
machinery. Like if I said industrial machinery, y'all would be like fast asleep, right? I'd be like, let's talk about industrial machinery. You'd be like, let's not, and let's go get a drink. Because <laughs> ain't nobody talking about that stuff. Hey, to your friends, hey, you know what's this party? Nothing's this party like a Caterpillar heavy industrial machinery product. So what they did was so fun. What they did was they recognized that who cares? That's not a relevant brand. But how do we bring it into a modern age and make it relevant? What they did is they actually staged these like, you know, like monster truck rally stuff. Yeah. So over the top, goofy and funny. So they staged these tractor races and industrial machine races between Caterpillar like machines. And they have these races and they videoed these and they created a series of like races with industrial machinery. And like you could bet on who was going to win. And they created these videos to just bring this idea of racing and winning and like, you know, NASCAR and monster truck rallies into the modern age. I thought that was so clever because they got that eight wasn't about the machinery. Nobody cares. What they got is that people love racing. People love the thrill of excitement. People love, you know, doubling down and betting on like, who's going to win. And they got that. And so they made it in the, an emotional kind of fun like thing. And they would, you know, you could bet in advance and go, all right, all right, who's, who thinks machine A is going to win? Who thinks machine, like a robotics jam. And so they made it a fun, fun thing. Who, who would have thunk, right? Mm-hmm. Another great example is banks. There's a bank in the UK that I was talking to, and I did something similar for a UK credit union. But this particular UK bank, they recognized that a lot of their customers were in their 50s. You know, their average customer was a little bit removed from financial literacy skills because they had a pretty literate base. And yet they realized that they needed to reach out to millennial money. If they wanted to grow their deposits, they had to reach out to millennial money. And they realized a lot of kids in their early 20s don't have financial literacy skills. Mm -hmm. So they started creating like pop-up books, downloadable coloring books, gamified like contests to where you could win like $200 in a bank deposit, in a growable CV if you won the contest. So they started doing these really just colorful, fun, gamified things to advance financial literacy. And they were like a stuffy, stuffy like UK bank. And that's a great example of they identified a target audience. It wasn't just that they made their content fun. It was strategic. Yes, it was strategic. That's a really important point. Thank you for saying that. They didn't just, fun for fun's sake doesn't, doesn't work. And I love fun. I'm an improviser. However, they had an audience, to your point, Amanda, they had an audience, they knew their audience, they knew what they needed. And what they found was that a lot of millennials in their survey that would graduate with like liberal arts degrees were very sophisticated, but ne- not necessarily financial, financially savvy. Mm-hmm. So right. they c- created a really strategic way to reach out to them, but not in a preachy way, in a fun way. Because millennials, I mean, let's face it, we all love fun. But millennials, you know, need to be reached out to in a way that's not the way that they would reach out to boomers. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine that if you're the person who identifies this need, say you see this segment you want to appeal to, and you're going to take a total 
turn and the type of content you're creating. They're going to go from kind of this straightforward content to we're going to have these contests and make it more interesting that there might be pushback to ideas like that. Have you seen that type of pushback happen? First of all, like when you're consulting with people, do you see people just get kind of nervous when you suggest that? Oh, I see people break out in sweats. (laughs) And I always, how do I know I'm doing my job right? Amanda, I make people very uncomfortable. That's what I'm doing right. Because if I'm not making you uncomfortable, it means I'm playing it safe. Mm Mm-hmm. And part of what improv is about is creating a safe space to experiment. We have to have some safe spaces. And yet, part of what I know about storytelling and emotional resonance and things that move people to take action is we have to take some risks. And we have to take what we do and present it in a non-boring way. And so the burden, think about boring. Boring is a tax and either you're going to pay it or your audience is going to pay it. So either you do the work to make it unboring or you can do the boring stuff that everybody else does. And guess what? Now the tax is being shifted to your audience and think about how much stuff that they're seeing on a daily basis in social media. Do you think for one minute they're going to pay that boring tax? Hmm. Hell no, they're not going to do it. They don't have to anymore. So you can take that attitude. And so one of the ways that I work with teams, and, I'm in, and, and I see it a lot, there is resistance, but I, I, I think it's really important to create a safe space where we explore ideas. We also acknowledge that the way you've been doing it feels safe to you because that's all you've ever done. Safe is a blind spot. It doesn't mean that somebody else's new idea is wrong. It's just you've been doing it the same way and it's safe. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it's wrong. So there's no wrong or right. Let's explore. The other thing that I find is that go get, go get user data. So with a couple of my clients, I worked with marketing to go get user data. So in one case, we took an idea, a concept, and we went to our ideal customers. The customers always designed for your ideal audience went to the ideal audience that had that were the most profitable and said, what do you think about this new program or this new campaign we're thinking of doing? And they loved it. So we designed, based on that, we took that back to marketing, to the marketing powers that be and said, look, we've already vetted this and here's what they loved about it. And that sometimes can help. So what I would say to you is, it, does it suck that you know marketing doesn't listen to you? Yes, and they should. That's a whole other thing. But when in doubt, go get, go get client feedback, valuable client feedback. Because when your valuable clients are saying, you know, we like that idea. We like that idea. It's harder for all the conservative groups in your company to then shoot that idea down. You're basically getting buy-in from other people before getting the leadership buy-in. 100%. The other thing to do is, that's client side. The other thing to do is make sure that you limit the feedback internally, but do get some level of leadership buy-in. Do say, hey, we're coming up with this idea and we want you to be a part of it. So rather than you ratify it after, how about you bake, you, you add your ingredients to it? What do you think? And when they feel included, you'll find that the resistance shield gets lowered. Hmm. That's really a tough important. balance, right? Like I think yeah. some people worry about getting too much feedback or input. 
They do. You got to limit it. You got to limit it. Like, let's just be honest. Like if you <laughs> go into a room of like all like lawyers and stuff, can we just say that nothing good happens there? <laughs> you know, they're going to go to the, like the most conservative viewpoint on the planet. So limit it because com- creativity by committee really sucks. How do you have examples of how you've limited it? Like when you say that, how can you frame that conversation to be like, this is the amount that I want? Yes. Here's what I would do. I have, what I have done personally is gone to maybe the head of engineering or the head of like marketing, the head of like product, the head of CX, which is silly because CX is everybody's job. But let's just say for the example here that, you know, we've got different departments Go to the head that is most impacted by it and see if you can get buy-in on certain things. What that means is this. You may not be able to say yes to everything they want. That doesn't matter. Improv is about yes and. Yes and, how can I build on your ideas and include some of them? Yes and, thank you, you gave me seven things. We can't do all seven. Yes and, we can do three of those seven. So yes and, We're going to do three of those things. Now that person in that department feels heard and they feel involved. So you can bet when that project is up for being rolled out, they think, you know what? I fed into that project. Now I am emotionally invested in seeing that product succeed. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like as the creative person, sorry, (laughs) it sounds like as the creative person, you have to be willing to make some of those changes. Like you can't go into it being like, this is steadfastly what's going to happen. You cannot, you cannot. The thing about creativity is it's a collaborative pursuit. And I'll say that again, you can have your ideas, but this is where thinking like an improviser really helps. Improv is fundamentally about yes and. It's listening. It's yes anding. How can I build on an idea you said? You know, maybe I decided I wanted a coloring book and you said, well, I want an app. And my yes and is, okay, yes, and we'll make a coloring book and yes, and we'll make an app to where people can upload a picture and we'll make a coloring book of that picture in the app. Yes, and how do we, yes, and is about bridging two ideas and, and making them a collaborative effort. That's, yeah. and, the, and it's important. And here's why it's important. Because much like improvisers on a stage, and I've been doing improv for almost 25 years, what it's taught me is that when we say yes and to other people's ideas, and we include other people's ideas, even if it's just they say 10 things, Amanda, and all we can agree on is one, find the one thing that you can include and and move forward. Because what it does is it builds a whole army of people that went, you know what? I fed into that idea. Now I'm emotionally invested and want that idea to succeed. Mm-hmm. Rather that than is, showing up later with a an idea they've never heard of and then being like, exactly. hey, everybody. <laughs> oh my God. And that is exactly the difference that is so important to understand is when you do it later, it's buy-in. When you do it earlier, it's baked in. Mm-hmm. And you baked in will kick buy-in's ass every time. <laughs> because now I fed into that process and it's partly my idea and my team had a say. And now because of that, I feel like I want to do everything I can to make that idea succeed. And that is huge. That is so huge. You talked about building a safe space for that creativity. How can somebody at a company, whether you're talking about marketing for that brand or you work with clients, like how can you build that kind of safe space? Yes. 
So building a safe space requires work. It's not for the faint of heart. It's the kind of thing where if you're familiar with the concept of psychological safety, that's what we're talking about here. It's this idea of, all right, when we're in this brainstorming or when this meeting mode or we're in this creativity freeform mode, all ideas have to be honored. And here's what it means. It means creating that place where it doesn't mean every idea has merit. It doesn't mean every idea is viable. That's not the point. The point is every idea is welcome to be surfaced. And then we will later go and evaluate those ideas for viability. Just because you hear an idea from a friend doesn't mean it's viable. However, it doesn't mean it's not viable. And so creating a safe space where people can kind of just, you know, come up with crazy ideas. If you don't, if, if crazy ideas aren't welcome, you're not going to get to the good stuff. You want to get to the good stuff, you got to welcome the really, really crazy ass ideas first. <laughs> and most companies are wired for the safe ideas. And it's the wrong way to think. What we need to do is know that in a safe container, I can come up with a crazy ass, what we call a loon shot or a moonshot idea, which is crazy. And we can totally then take that idea and kind of maybe, maybe kind of anchor it down a little bit into something that works. But it's so much easier to anchor down a really crazy idea than it is to take a safe idea and make it work. Mm. But you want those ideas. So you're going to have to create a container where it's safe to be able to do that kind of thinking. And that doesn't happen unless everybody agrees that, look, this is what we're going to do. There's no yes budding. There's no telling somebody their idea sucks. There's no shitting on an idea. There's no crapping on an idea. There's no like laughing at an idea. All ideas are viable until we go and do the work later. And you really have to, it takes a lot of discipline and it takes people really sticking to that to make it work. I'd imagine if there's even one person in that meeting who is judging, that yep. it would tear the whole thing down. You know how it is. The minute somebody goes, oh, yes, but that will never work. Or yes, yes, but, uh, blah, 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 blah. No. The minute we go to that place, ideas shut down and that kills it, man. So you got to be very, you really, everybody has to stick to that. And the minute somebody does that, they're out. Or they, like you, maybe you have a swear jar and they put money in it. Or maybe they have to do something silly. So there's not shaming the person, but maybe there's some kind of consequence where, you know, that way everybody sees that their ideas are equal and equally valid until proven otherwise. And there's a safe space to think crazy. Mm -hmm. You can't get to really good ideas if you cannot make it safe for the crazy out of the box ideas. All right. Because if we can all just come up with brilliant ideas immediately, <laughs> I don't think marketing would be as hard as it is. We would if we <laughs> knew it was safe. But how many times do we hold back because we know that like, Nancy over there is going to be like, man, I don't like that idea. And you're like, shut it, Nancy, or you Bob, <laughs> or whatever. And all it takes is one person to kill the creativity in the room. Oh, yeah. Because that's a, that's a big blow to your ego. If somebody just calls you out in front of people, like, that's, an, that's a terrible idea. It's like, terrible. Ooh. It's terrible. And it kills creativity. It kills the mood. It says, this isn't safe here. And the only way crazy ideas flourish is to... 100% make it safe. Mm -hmm. Make it safe. So you got to, if you say it's safe here and somebody does that, there's consequences. Make it fun. I don't believe in shaming, but what, like we've had like 
people have to leave the room and run like three laps around the meeting room <laughs> or put in, put in $5 into the pizza jar or something fun and not like punitive, but something where they got the point. <laughs> right. You sent <laughs> right? the message. Send the message and then they get it. And then they go, oh, gosh, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to. And it's all in fun. Nobody's shamed. But it's, they get the point because without that safe space being really honored, you're never going to get the good stuff. And you've got to, like on an improv stage, yes and, yes and. Doesn't mean you have to build the idea. It means that while we're in this room together incubating, we're going to honor everybody's ideas. Yep. Super important. Super important. It really is. So there's a question I ask at the end of every episode. And it's when people want to get buy-in. So in this case, if you're that content creator or somebody who has this, even if it's a bigger idea, like a really creative strategy, if you're in mar the marketer and you're going to get buy-in, we've already talked about a bit about how to get that buy-in. What are the biggest mistakes that people make when they take on that endeavor? It sounds like one of them is to just not get anybody's buy-in and then show up to this meeting and introduce it to everybody for the first time. But is there anything else you can think of that is like a common or, or a big mistake that you've seen made? Yeah, I think that is the biggest one is, you know, when it's already near done launch that so we talked about that. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing is to assume, we assume that the idea is fully baked. And even when we get every people's buy-in and baked in, you know, early on, we got we to gotta get people's, you know, we still have to be open to the naysayers and we have to be ready for that. I think the biggest thing is we think if we even get buy-in early, early during the gestation cycle, that there won't be any opposition later. Mm. It lowers opposition. However, it doesn't mean that you won't have somebody later. So here's the thing that I see too many people do is they give up. They go, okay, well, somebody's come forward and said it won't work. Hold up to the fire in a very, very, don't give up on your idea. Here's the thing. All right. I hear Bob that you don't like X, Y, and Z, but what about A, B, and C? So what if we then take this idea and then worry about X, Y, Z later? But if we all agree that A, B, C is the right thing to do, let's figure out how to make that work now. So what I mean is that we assume that it's all or nothing. We make the all or nothing mistake. But ideas don't always work that way. Sometimes we can parse an idea into parts. And we can agree on some things. And if we can find agreement on even part of the idea, then move those things that you agree on forward. But too many people give up and just throw out the whole idea because one person said, well, I don't like it. Well, and then maybe, so, is it possible that if you get part of it bought in and you actually execute part of it and it goes well, you have less to get buy-in for after that for your full exactly. idea. Exactly. So anytime you can vet in advance or you can get baked in in advance and buy in early, the other part is find a way, even if you get resistance later, find out, hold people to the fire. What specifically do you disagree with? Don't give up on your idea. Hold the people who disagree accountable. Here's what we give up on. The minute there's resistance, people go, oh, okay. No. No, hold the people who are resisting. It's hard to do. You can do it respectfully and say, all right, Bob, I get it. You don't like this. Can you tell me specifically what parts you object to and why? Because what that does is it shifts the burden to them 
And there, you may find out that it's not the whole idea they're willing to disagree with, and you can move forward on some parts of it. I like that, getting that elaboration and understanding exactly what it is. Exactly. Because now you don't have, it, it shouldn't be an all or nothing proposition. Rarely is it ever. It's just that we never hold people to the fire. And in a, in a good way, not in a mean-spirited way, but if we do it in a really honest way, we can learn, we can iterate, we can usually unpack an idea and move forward on some part of it. So don't give up on, don't think of it as an all or nothing. Don't think of it that way. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah. The other question I always ask is knowing the objective of the show, do you have recommendations on who should be future guests? Future guests. Oh my goodness. I probably do. I do. I just not think of anybody right now. Totally um, fine. No worries. I know I, it's like I, I'm sure I will. Spot. I'm sure I totally will. Give me a minute. I will. My brain's a little bit like, eh, but yeah, <laughs> no. No, I will. I will. I would totally do that. I think there's probably some guests that can help you challenge the assumptions that we're making. Yeah. It's so funny, Kathy, because this interview overall and, and the concepts we're talking about today reminded me of something I think Anne Hanley said oh, yeah. at one of the conferences I was at about like marketers don't just want, or people, excuse me, people don't want to just buy from or work with those that they trust, but they want to work with those that they like. Yeah. And I think a lot of what you're talking about, like being creative and, and having humor in your content and being relatable is about that dimension of, I just enjoy this. It doesn't matter if it's B2B. And I've very much enjoyed having you on the show. And it's just a testament to that. It's like, you can come back anytime, Kathy. I'd love to talk to you again. <laughs> you know, like well, that's the impression you make. And if that's what your content does, then you yeah. can, I feel like you can just see how that would be beneficial. Well, I appreciate that. Same with you. No, I love what you're doing. I think it's so important. I think, you know, the day that really is, I've always had a belief that it's really about people. And if we just stop making it about the thing, and that comes from improv, the improv stage. It's like if two people are in a bowling scene, and I teach improv too, as well. I teach it in the pure form as well as what we call applied. So I help my marketing team clients figure this out. But I also teach at my theater. And you know, this is a lot like life. If you've got two people in a bowling scene and you watched as an audience member, do you even care if they talk about the pins and the ball and the, no, no. But what if you watched a bowling scene with two friends and they were talking about their life and they were talking about their marriages and their kids while they bowled? There's no difference to marketing. When we make it transactional about the thing, nobody cares. When we suddenly realize that in the context of using the product, people have lives, they have cares, they have uncertainties. They're so scared with COVID. And, you know, there's these beautiful social justice movements that are happening and people are being held accountable for not just saying Black Lives Matters, but actually having black people in product marketing and, and in, you know, product development and all these places where their voice matters. Mm -hmm. And if we can remember that all humans share the same fears and triumphs and hopes for their lives, then that's when it gets good. Mm -hmm. That's when things get real and we can get out of this talking about the product mentality. That's transactional. And we got to get out from the transactional to the transformational is where change happens. And that is about life and being human. Well, that is an excellent way to wrap up the show. 
Thank you so much for joining me, Kathy. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Amanda. Thank you. For more insights and exclusive resources on how to justify content marketing, join our email newsletter by going to frac.tl, clicking on our work, and then podcast. See you next week.